0: Yeah, I was just saying that I don't have a camera. So as our patrons, thank you for your patronage. And if you had friends that you think should be patrons, please let them know so that I am not just a disembodied S on all of our videos. You can see me. Uh, And if you don't want to see me, that only hurts a lot. And that's okay. Please support us anyway.
1: I imagine we're going to get hurt a lot in this business.
0: That's fine. Jesus was literally crucified, so yeah. i worried about it.
1: Literally.
0: <laughs> Welcome back to The Christ in Culture. This is Steve.
1: And this is Gordon. And Steve. When's the last time I saw you? Oh, gosh, was it the last time we brewed? No, it was when we tasted our beer that we brewed. Yes,
0: well, that's what I meant. Is like yeah. it was a part of the brewing process.
1: Totally, I think so.
0: Wow, that's crazy for what for what it's worth. My uh, we're recording this on Skype and my camera's not working, so you still haven't seen me since then.
1: Right, because oh. I almost saw you on my birthday. I think right. Because we had yeah. like, the gathering at Flying Saucer, and you at the time yeah. didn't have a car.
0: Yes, my car was in the shop, so I wasn't able to make... It was super unfortunate, because the day before, my car, like, crapped out. Excuse yeah. The yeah, but I, it just, like, didn't... Yeah, so I had to go to the shop, and then I was like, well, guess I won't be coming to see you, Gordon. And so my hope was that I could finagle some hangout with you in a ride. I forgot that you were there, and
1: I did FaceTime you though that day.
0: You did, so you did see my face.
1: Yeah, you did that's, see me. That's the last time I saw you. Mm. I also that... put
0: that. I also put that thing in the Marco Polo, which I realized I haven't used in months, and <laughs> I don't know if you guys have either.
1: What thing? The Marco Polo. What? Well, what thing did you put in the Marco Polo?
0: I put in regards to last week's episode, which was having some sound mm-hmm. quality issues and so i was like hey do we want to post this or do we want to try to rip the audio oh from the video? yes
1: you're talking yeah. about last week yes i do mm-hmm. use marco polo still because it's just, we use it for different different groups within a door but yes in regards to last week's episode i haven't listened to that one yet i listened to the other one and mm-hmm. it was it was good uh never seen warhorse yeah but at this point we we each individually have all done that once Clint did it, I think, in one of the earlier... What happened, guys, if you did hear last week's episode and you're like, what the heck is this? One, it's we need more patrons. And two, when you set up the microphones, because I guess you and Clint were with each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. The system sometimes like auto-corrects. I'm not using the microphone. I'm going to use something else. And it was using Steve's computer microphone, even though everything was connected. And so Steve was like clear, but Clint was like on the other side of the, of the computer and stuff. And it was faint and it just didn't, didn't come out. Okay.
0: Yeah. It it didn't sound good. Um, I apologize. We were looking into maybe pulling and replacing that audio file with one clear from the video. I don't know. Yeah. If Clint's Clint to do that.
1: Clint edited that and did it yesterday. Okay. So, so if it should you, be a little clear. He says not. Yeah much better but it is like yeah. same audio levels on both sides
0: yeah so we apologize for that um this is why we need better equipment and better podcasters <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes um, if you guys raise enough money you will replace us
0: <laughs> we'll find good people to do the podcast i'm just kidding
1: no but anyway. we all done it like i said i know clint mm-hmm. did it one of the first five i did it when i first joined with the Isles of dogs episode and now you've done it
0: Though, if sound quality aside, it's a good episode and it has a lot of good stuff in it. It just Clint sounded like I put him in a box.
1: Yeah, that's how I felt so. when I did it to the Isle of Dogs episode. I was so mad because I was like, "No, I love this episode."
0: And we I did that. Talking, that was
1: ours, right? Yeah, you and I did that. Um, yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah, and I remember talking to Nick about it, and he was like, "Yeah, I, ha- I had to stop listening. I just couldn't. I couldn't do it." And I was like, no. I
0: know. That's the thing is like I was editing it and I realized there was so much good stuff in it. But like it was hard to listen to. And so my fear is that people just wouldn't listen. Um, So hopefully with the new sound quality, so if you're listening to this episode, it's worth it to, I think, check out the Real War, uh, the Game of Thrones episode. I think it was just a good episode. Um, It covered a lot of good things.
1: If someone takes you up in your challenge in order to get you to write a blog, you'll write a blog about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I forgot that I left that part in. I thought about editing it out, but here we are.
1: Here we are. And I also
0: assumed I was like, man, the sound quality is so bad. No one's going to hear this challenge anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's true.
0: So what media have you been intaking?
1: Not a, honestly, not, not a lot. Uh, with summer going, I have like three events kind of a week on top of like two meetings that week and then, other stuff kind of going into the weekend. I don't think I've officially announced it on the podcast, but I am engaged. And Woo. so, yep. <laughs> seems so like A&M. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so like wedding planning on top of that. And then I have like a summer camp in like two weeks. So I haven't really had time to do a bunch, but we are reading some books for as a team. Um, books I've mentioned on the podcast before, but uh, yeah. Tattoos of the Heart. Oh, Cool. Uh, by Father Gregory Boyle, um, who does like gang ministry in L.A. It's a really just good book. You can just watch his YouTube videos though, and you pretty much read the book. As well as the God Ask, I've been kind of rereading that because Chris, my director, has kind of rechallenged me on some refocusing. And uh, that's about it.
0: Yeah, honestly, I haven't been taken a ton either. I bought some new books, but at this point, my reading list is becoming potentially longer than my having read list. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep buying things, and so I need to actually start reading some of them. I have been continuing to read the book for the book study that I mentioned, I think, a couple weeks ago. If I haven't, it's called Servant Leadership. I'm doing that at work, uh, book study. And then there's another one that we're just reading called Bored and Brilliant, How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self. And so we just started reading that, which is really cool as like, a Christian because the author of the book is not a believer. but they talk about some themes that we understand in Christianity, namely the need for leisure, right? That we sometimes bog down our time with other things to do or, you know, we'll just watch TV or get on our phones um, and, and sort of fill every moment of time. And it was actually talking about how that's detrimental to our creativity and our own brilliance in that, like how even just biologically and psychologically, our brain needs that space of nothing to process and that's where we come up with our best ideas and so we understand this also in terms of that's where we hear god and so it's kind of this this moment where you know you're reading the book and you're kind of like can see where this person is touching on some truth without even knowing the fullness of truth um, hmm. just like the importance of leisure and the importance and they eventually later on get to the importance of meditation and just how it's better for an individual to make sure that they're ta- taking that time to just do boring things or, you know, nothing or, um, you know, just something like going for a walk and like not being on your phone or traveling without listening to music, time to just be and exist and be. Um, and right. we understand that like prayer is definitely like contemplative prayer is a point for that. Um, it's just like the, all of the positive effects of that. So it's a really interesting book uh, that we're reading and then I'm going to be reading a bunch of G.K. Chesterton because I just decided that I wanted to be a G.K. Chesterton scholar and bought, like, four of his books.
1: So, Which ones?
0: Oh, I bought Heretics, Orthodoxy, The Everlasting Man. Okay. I think one other, but that was in the last batch that I bought. Okay. Uh, I also intend to very quickly, um, and by very quickly, I mean soon, I own the book Consoling the Heart of God by Father Michael Gately. Mm-hmm. And so, Gordon, you and I last year right. did that sort of like retreat together, but apart through Marco Polo as you, me, Chris, a other guys. And I would like to do that again with this book. Now, I don't think it's like necessarily retreat structure, like some of his 33 Days to Merciful Love that we did. Right, right, right. But um, I'm really interested in doing that, and I think it'd be cool to – just set up a a little bit of a reading block and be like, let's do these chapters on these weeks. And then like Marco Polo that so that we can go through it together because I found that very fruitful. And it's just kind of cool to be able to bounce the ideas and like what we've garnered from that. Because sometimes like you'll get something really deep from the book and then somebody will say something and it'll give you a whole new understanding. And sometimes what they say speaks to me more because like they have a different perspective that like makes me think of something else. And I just think that accountability um, and others, you know, that is the, uh, one of the paradoxes of our faith, right? That we're a bunch of imperfect people that actually help perfect each other. Mm-hmm. Right. That, like we need each other to reach perfection. So yeah, community is so important. And even though we, as a community of believers, sometimes fail to live up to Christ, it's actually only in being together and like working towards it and striving for virtue that we achieve any form of perfection or sanctification through others. So and service
1: but um, yeah we've been others, so. with our readings each week we've been doing kind of that idea where we all read like three chapters and then one person leads yeah but it's kind of what you said like either what we've what we've come up with is just like come up with questions based on each chapter and you know the questions usually aren't related to like what did this person say in this chapter but just like you know this person's talking about compassion in this chapter so where in your life is it hard to be compassionate? And it's like totally like kind of unrelated to the book, but mm-hmm. it's also just like, Oh, like I would not have actually th- like thought about things this deeply reading this book if I didn't have someone to discuss it with. And so, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, totally. and it's just, so it's really cool. I also so. was curious
1: which JK Chester and books you bought because I read the man who was Thursday for this podcast, not this podcast, but for, I, we did an episode, me and Clint, yeah, a while yeah. back on that. So, and uh,
0: I I read The Man Who Was Thursday back in college. It's a yeah. great book. Yeah,
1: it's so good.
0: Yeah, it's really good.
1: First book by him I read. So
0: same, same. Yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah I took a modern Catholic literature course in college, and so I read a bunch of these classic books. Ended <laughs> up being really good, and it's just so funny to like read them because so many of them have like they so many of them deal with. And I think just in general, because this is how God works through us, it has this, like, very imperfect main character that, like, God uses. Anyway, and it's just kind of cool. But anyway, those are books for another topic.
1: Cool. Well, the other thing I took in was today I watched my first movie in probably since In Game. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this might be a short episode. I challenged myself because, you know, I didn't have anything planned. You, you know, it's just one of those like seasons where you're doing something and then like we we get that we get that realization like hey we need to record we need to record early so we have time and i was like i have nothing like we've been going through all the recommendations so i've been like forced to like do not forced that's a terrible word i've had the privilege to intake these things that our listeners want and do things rather than like in the beginning come up with our own ideas like okay let's cover this topic And so now that I'm like, I had to come up with something, I was like, I have, I have no idea. And I realized, you know, we've been touching on a lot of new media, like clothing, comic books, like just different types of media with guests and other people. And I think there's one media, one thing we've never really touched on. Have we, and you can correct me on this. Have we ever touched on like a true story, like a documentary? I don't think so. No. No? Okay. Well, this is a true story, but the movie is not a true story. It's a fictional take on a true story. I watched the new Netflix movie, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Do you know which one I'm talking about?
0: Yes. Is that the one that's supposed to be about Ted Bundy?
1: It's about Ted Bundy.
0: Oh my gosh. Look, guys, I'm actually plugged into the world. This is. And I new. knew it would be
1: good because I know you watched a little bit of the Ted Bundy tapes, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I saw some of them. And. Specifically the tape where he talks about the detrimental aspect of pornography and how it helped lead him to kind of the stuff that he's done. And he just realized, and he's not like condemning pornography as like a serial killer. He's just like talking about his experience and how pornography had led him to that. And so it's really interesting. But anyway, that's a different topic or maybe the no, no, no. same topic.
1: Oh, this might be a short episode. Cause it's, I was like, I wanted to challenge myself with like one, doing a movie about Ted Bundy and trying to do the Christ and culture thing, as well as doing a documentary. And there was not a yeah. lot in it. There was not. So I have a few things, but I was hoping you would be able to add in other another few things for maybe like the Ted Bundy tapes. And so this is a, what, what do you call that? Like where it's like pe- actors are playing the story. So it's like a fictional take of the story of Ted Bundy and his trial and being found out through the perspective of his girlfriend and fiance Liz. And so right now we have interns in town for a door and one is living here with us with the Matlers. His name is Ethan. And I know he watched it and all the interns watched it. You know, the he's usually there's only ever one guy when there's an intern. So when I, when I entered with the door, I was the only guy, Ethan's the only dude. And all the girls loved, loved the movie. Um, they thought it was great they wanted to watch again and ethan's just like i just don't get it why are we like glorifying ted bundy and like serial killers and so this movie can easily if you don't really know the like the idea seem like ted bundy's kind of a good guy because on her perspective she didn't know or believe that he did any of those things until a few the week he was he got like he was um on death row, yeah. like until he was he died.
0: Oh, uh, so, hey! By the way, it's called a biopic.
1: Thank you, that's that's biopic. It's exactly it's a Ted Bundy biopic. Oh, I guess we did do. Dang it, we've done Tolkien. Oh man, I just missed it. Okay, so we have done okay, one. This is
0: this is the first biopic we did with somebody who is
1: inherently a bad, extremely wicked, shockingly yeah. evil and vile. Yes, um, uh, somebody so, who killed a lot of people. Well.
0: Anyway, let's just. Wasn't Tolkien in the military? Yeah. So it's like,
1: <laughs> um, that's different. Yes,
0: yes, 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 yes. Is the first one I handle somebody like that's what I was saying. It's just like I want to be precise in what I'm saying. And I
1: understand. Yeah, we're not big enough where we will actually get people commenting and correcting us quite yet. Um, yeah. We do we did a few of those on Facebook, but they're more fun than they are. Like, hey, you said you've never done this. <laughs> but I, want, I wanted to talk about the first thing that Ethan mentioned is like, why are we so fascinated by these like people like Ted Bundy, you know, or Charles Manson? Why is that? Why are we so fascinated by the mind of a serial killer? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And is it glorification? to do things like make movies about it and like broadcast it and like give the create these things for people to indulge in do you know like do you think the i guess it's based on attention but i just wanted to throw that at you and start this conversation what do you think why is it such a big deal why is it
0: yeah i think in a similar way that we are attracted to maybe slasher pics or um, some of the horror uh, maybe a different way than some of like the supernatural horror stuff but I think that we, when we see things like Ted Bundy, or like we see these serial killers, um, or like the movie Hannibal, right, which was like a a movie about a oh, serial killer.
1: Love Hannibal.
0: Yeah, but I think when we when we look at that, it's it's almost a subconscious recognition that we are also fallen, and like a recognition that we're sinners and we have just as much capability of performing horrible acts, right? Maybe we don't, you know, go out and kill a bunch of people, (laughs) um, right? Which I would hope not. But I think that there's something where, you know, it's the same sort of idea where sometimes we relate to the villains of a comic book, you know, that has a tragic backstory.
1: because We're
0: like, oh, man, like, if I was in that same situation, I don't know. I, I'd like to say I wouldn't do the same thing, but you know, like I also have the capacity for evil. You know, we have, um, as humans and as children of God, we have like limitless uh, potential to do good, right? Like literally, Jesus performed miracles and said, "You will do greater things." we have limitless potential to do good, yeah. Faith, but on the flip side of that, we have original sin, right? We have limitless potential. To do evil if we so choose to turn our back on God, right? Yeah. So I think that our fascination comes from this like weird spot where we we look at these things and we say, "Hmm, this person's really bad," but but there's almost like this this darkness of like and some of it might even just be original sin. Like we're just attracted to things that are just bad.
1: I'm literally going to say that. Yep. Yeah. Right. Well, because right. I, I, I see it two ways like that I can see it being because of our brokenness when we see something that's like to the extreme of that brokenness mm-hmm. we're like whoa you know there's like this like connection because it's of the same thing and so we're attracted to it or I think you know this this fascination can also stem from the fact of the opposite we you know what we created for and what we created to be if we're actually like you know actively trying to live that out then we see this thing that's the total opposite, and we want to know and understand how something could get that way. Yeah. So no, how think- could something become so broken? Because like that's the opposite. It's kind of like and you would get this when you play D anD D. The first character you ever make is like you, and then the second character do you make is like the opposite of how you would be, and you probably have more fun with your second character than the first character.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it's the same thing with like dystopian novels, right? Like we love dystopian novels not because we want to live in a dystopia, because it says something about who we are in society and like the problems that we actually face. Yeah, you know, in a different way. So, um, yeah.
1: So I'm not going to talk about this movie much. I'm just going to talk about like there's like two things in this movie that okay. I pulled out. But like I said, it's it's the point of view of his almost a wife it was a, a girl that he dated and like i would like to say truly loved it's hard to say because it was in her perspective i haven't seen like any actual documentaries on him but the fact that she's still alive i imagine he actually did love her but you're not always with her in the movie like a lot of times it's it's mostly you're with him and so the fact that it's through her perspective is really through the the tone of the movie and the tone of the movie is did he really do these things? And it, it really plays hard into the fact that he might not have. And like, he's a good guy, even though he did do these things. And so it's really interesting. I think some people don't like it for that fact. that it makes him look like a good person, even though he's a terrible person. But yeah. in the, in the beginning they meet in this bar and she's a single mom she's with her friend and she's like embarrassed to be there because she's like you know why am i here she's like because you need to get out and she just dumped someone apparently that i guess had this child with her and he like left her completely she's like because you need to like move on and she's like well, no one's gonna want to date me like because i'm a single mom she's like no tonight you're single and he you know notices right away they meet he takes her home and the babysitter leaves. And as soon as like the babysitter leaves while they're at the front, you know, that, that's, you know, the, that date moment where you're like, maybe this is the first kiss or whatever. Um, she gets embarrassed because that's when he finds out she has a kid and she's like, you know, you can leave if you want. And he's like, why would I want to do that? And she, he comes in and she's like, right. Like she goes to check on her kid and he's there and she's like, Are you sure you don't want to run away. And immediately made me think of Something that I've read in like a book we read last summer, and also something that Father Gregory Boyle talks about in touches of the heart. And it's this: it's it's the power of shame. Like she wholeheartedly believes in in that scene that like having a kid is like she's she's ashamed of it in in the in the dating world, and there's a difference between shame and guilt, where guilt is helpful makes you change me and me and clint have talked about this in one of our patron episodes and shame which is just harmful makes us lose our identity in christ and create this new identity which is not true hers was like i can't like no one's gonna ever want to be with me because or i'm not good enough for have someone else because i have a child and the father's not around and so I want to read the story real quick, and then I'll let you run with your thoughts. This is something that Father Gregory Boyle said in his book, where he's kind of touching on the same idea. He so said he does gang ministry, and one of the kids did something that he knows he he knows his kid did it, and he's trying to like get him to admit it. And he's like, "How?" And he goes up. He's like, "How how you doing?" I gently speak to Danny on the hot asphalt of the parking lot, he's like, "I didn't did it." Danny gives me both barrels in perfect homie grammar. I didn't. Did it? I know. I say in full agrocondé mode, going against every grain of my being. I know, I know, but I'm worried about you. I say I was as quiet as I can be. How are you doing? It's like okay. Did you eat anything today? No. I give him five dollars. Why don't you go across the street to Jim's and get something to eat? Danny starts to walk away and mumbles loud enough to be heard. Even though you don't believe me, I call him back. Danny, if you tell me you didn't do it, mijo, then that's all I need danny stands in the hot july sun and begins to weep cornered by shame and disgrace and then it says that uh, a psychiatrist and author james gilligan writes that self cannot survive without love and the self starved of love dies and then another franciscan richard Rohr, writes the lord comes to us disguised as ourselves and so just I, I don't know i just i wanted to touch on shame based on like If this was a story kind of from her perspective, then it kind of begins with her and she starts with in this mode of shame. And like the fact that we see this movie where she, where you're like, how can you think he's such a good person? It's like, because he's the first person that changes her perspective of who she is to being something even better, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? No,
0: it makes perfect sense. Two things. Yeah, Uh, go. With what you were saying, the first is going back to what you were saying about just like her shame of having a child, and you know I work in the pro life movement.
1: This is true. I always forget, and then I yeah go yeah.
0: And so that's something that is always on my heart, and that I think that sometimes we have to do because I think a lot of times people say they're pro life, and then they they don't care about the women after like they choose life. Okay, great, but are we breeding a culture that stigmatizes pregnant women? And we can't say abortion is bad, like you can't kill the child and then negatively stigmatize the woman who chooses life. Yeah. And so, you know, fortunately, the organization I work for does a lot to get the money in the state budget and stuff to help uh, support these life-affirming agencies that do help take care of these women. And a lot of our college students help raise money to pay for to award scholarships to pregnant students um, and a lot of life-affirming things like that. But it is a big thing, right? Like, I think sometimes we have to think, how can we as individuals not stigmatize these pregnant women? Uh, There was a Catholic speaker that I heard who was talking about how his daughter came home pregnant. And he was saying, like, my first thought was, as a Catholic speaker, is my career's over. Like I can't even preach the God. There was like a unwed teen pregnancy, I think. And he's like, I can't even get my daughter to follow the gospel. And then he had to catch himself because he was like, What am I doing? Right. Like, what am I saying? Because he says he's pro life. And so after he caught himself, he 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 responded with, He's like, we need to rejoice in this baby. So he was like, Congratulations. Like, we'll take care of the rest of it. Like, we love you. Um, and he responded in a way that. Wasn't his initial reaction, but I think sometimes we have to do that, right? How are we actually treating when we see a single mother? Are we looking at them with judgment? Or are we looking at them with love and compassion and like gratitude that they chose life in a culture that tells them not to? Yeah. Also, uh, so second point, when you're talking about sort of shame and you're, you're talking about like how she accepts Ted Bundy because she showed a love. When you look at abusive relationships, that's yeah. generally a common theme. Right. Like abusive relationships were like, why would somebody stay there? And oftentimes people who find themselves in abusive relationships previously would have been like, yeah, I like it's not like they go into it being like, oh, I can't wait for an abusive relationship. Like They understand it's bad. Um, But a lot of times they're broken or if they're not, they find themselves in a relationship where the abuser tends to try to separate them from their loved ones, attack their self-worth and get them to a state where their self-esteem and self-worth is so low that it's easier to maintain them there because they, they, they begin to truly believe they don't deserve anything better, right? Uh, they, they think that, well, like, yes, he may be beating me or maybe emotionally abusing me, but I deserved it based on my actions, which is manipulative. But, you know, ultimately, we as individuals are seeking love. Like, we want to love and be loved. So when we feel like we're not receiving love, will sometimes go to the bad places if we feel there's love there when we're not receiving it elsewhere. Uh, totally. Which is, again, I think a call to all of us: Are we in our lives breeding a culture of love? Yeah. You know, like if people don't walk away from interactions with us feeling loved, then I think we're failing in our mission.
1: Yeah. I sometimes, had-
0: sometimes love is like a hard truth, and so they may not be happy about it, but they should still feel like
1: you care. it. Right. Love isn't like lovey dovey all the time. Sometimes loving is like yeah. Um I also had this thought that I didn't think about watching the movie, but it's really interesting because like I said, I've read the first book that I I just remember her name. The first book I read about shame um was by Brene Brown. And that's what she studies is shame and like these negative emotions and how they affect us. And then like said this, and you know, they always talk about shame is like toxic. Because like I said, shame is is something that just like corrodes at us versus we're guilt we feel guilty for something and we strive to fix it or change but i I don't know watching this movie and like kind of talking to you right now i kind of kind of see like shame isn't necessarily all bad because she felt shame because it was like a human thing to feel she was just like ashamed and like just thought that she just needed someone to correct her you know whether that was god or anybody whereas in this in this movie Ted Bundy, who's being charged for, you know, man's not man charged for murder and like attempts to murder and all these things. He feels no shame whatsoever because he believes to a fault that he did not do these things or at least trying to at least convince people he did not do these things, but he doesn't feel shame. And it's like, I'd rather have her, this person who's a better person, f- you know if you feel ashamed then this he's still a person but you know what i mean like the serial killer who's not shameful like uh, in that in that context shame is a good thing does that make sense
0: yeah 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 what do you think
1: think about that
0: yeah I, i think uh to a certain extent shame or feeling ashamed i don't think is necessarily a bad thing right in terms of similar to like guilt right it's this idea of we've done something wrong like plenty of people scripturally have been ashamed of their actions. And being ashamed can sometimes like lead you to a place where you realize you need to repent, right? Or like God can forgive you, right? Because It's a recognition that you've done something wrong. Yeah. I think where shame gets a negative aspect, and perhaps this is the distinction between shame and guilt, it is where I think sometimes even Satan attacks us with shame. Right. right like we're forgiven but he still wants us to feel ashamed of an action that we did.
1: Yeah, when when shame becomes our reality mm-hmm. it's not good anymore. Yeah. Rather than when shame when shame is like the driving force to 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 act.
0: Yeah, but I I I actually wonder and I'd be just interested to see what you have to say about it. Is it truly shame that is the bad thing or is it when we identify with that shame, like is it less about because all sorts of problems happen when we root our self self worth in something other than who we are before God, lots of negative things happen, and so I think sometimes people root their self worth in their shame, and I think that that's what causes the problems do you understand what I'm saying? Does that concept make I,
1: sense no um, i i do it's It's hard to say because i, I I kind of agreed with, with what you're saying in the sense of, I think the way we're talking about shame is, is guilt. Mm-hmm. Like, like in scripture on to the say they were ashamed and they repented. I think that's more of like, they felt the guilty. Guilt. Yeah. So like, you, you know, it's not, I don't think it's two words that are the same thing. I think shame in and of itself is just like this negative thing, but depending on what you mean by it, when you say I'm ashamed or all the things, it, it, if it's yeah. guilt then it's guilt. Um, and I think that's, I think, I think what you're saying, what you just said about like when you identify with that or when, mm-hmm. is, is that what you said? I think that's yeah. what shame is. Yeah. Like, tr- and, and it's true essence. Shame maybe, is a change of identity.
0: Yeah. That shame maybe is identifying with your guilt is maybe what yes. shame is. That yeah, you, I can agree you with that. You look at your guilt and you identify this is who I am right. um, at my core as opposed to recognizing, you know, St. Francis of Assisi, I am who I am before God, nothing more, nothing less. Yes. That's humility. And I think humility, you know, people, I think, have a false view of what humility is. And so we look at, I'm actually going to bring up a quote um, from, uh, hold on, if you can hold, please.
1: Yeah, I can edit.
0: So this is a quote by Viktor Frankl. And so when I talk about humility, I think sometimes we have some issues. So when we talk about humility, I think we forget. And so we we say, okay, the fix for shame is humility. And then we think of humility as this like beating ourselves up. And so I think our culture sometimes tells us that the fix is like self-actualization or self-realization or like puffing yourself up, right? That's the fix to shame or low self-esteem or things like that. But I think the fix is humility. I mean, I know the fix is humility. So right. this is a quote by Viktor Frankl okay. in Man's Search for Meaning, which is a great book. I recommend it to every single one of our listeners. And this is a quote from the book where he's talking about this. By declaring that man is responsible and must actualize the potential meaning of his life, I wish to stress that the true meaning of life is to be discovered in the world rather than within man or his own psyche, as though it were a closed system. I have termed this constitutive characteristic the transcendence of human existence. It denotes the fact that being human always points and is directed to something or someone other than oneself, be it a meaning to fulfill or another human being to encounter. The more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to serve or another person to love, the more human he is and the more he actualizes himself. What is called self-actualization is not an attainable aim at all for the simple reason that the more one would strive for it, the more he would miss it. In other words, self-actualization is possible only as a side effect of self-transcendence. To break down that big, long hunk of text.
1: Great. I, yeah, I have no idea what it said.
0: <laughs> Maybe if you read it,
1: yeah, I w- it was one of those things where, like, I, if I was reading it, it would have helped. But also, I didn't realize you were reading until three sentences in, and I was like, "Oh crap, I missed the beginning." So
0: it's fine. So what he's at- talking about, I think, is very applicable to today because we talk a lot about self-actualization, right? This idea of finding meaning for yourself, or very um, New Agey, right? And what he's pointing to, and so he's coming from a little backstory. He was in a concentration camp, yeah, and he watched some people make it all the way through the horrors of the concentration camps. And he would see other people eat their bread, right? They're starving. They would eat the bread that they stockpiled, and then the next morning they wouldn't wake up. And it was because they had lost hope. So they died, and they would eat all their bread because they no longer had anything to live for. And so you would think that by eating food, they would sustain their life, but they actually just gave up on living and so they, they would die. And so he, it led him to this, So he's a psychologist, it led him to this thing of like, what does it mean to have meaning in life? Like, what does it mean to be human? How is it that we're to live? And he's introduced a lot of concepts to modern psychology. So but what he's talking about here is the idea of self-actualization. I mean, he's saying that self-actualization can't happen as if we're some sort of closed system, right? We can't look into our own psyche and necessarily find meaning that are, that it's, and so he's not really touching on it, but from a Christian perspective, we can, we can look and see that this meaning to fulfill, right? Is a meaning to fulfill or another being to encounter by giving himself to a cause to serve or another to love, right? So we recognize that this encounter that we're experiencing is with God and that that helps shed light on who we are, right? And so humility isn't about me. It's about who I am before God, right? Like who I was created to be. And so to talk about it, I was having a discussion with one of our interns at work, uh, Amy, shout out. And she was asking this question because she was saying like, well, who are we, right? And I was, I was basically saying, well, it's who we are before God, right? It's who we're created to be. That's our core, who we are. And she's like, well, what if you never live up to that? Does it change, like, do you you just never become who you're supposed to be? Are you not yourself, or do you become someone different? And I was like, okay, let me put it this way. I was like, if I were to walk outside right now and get hit by a bus and become a quadriplegic with severe brain damage, am I less Steve Sherman than I was before? Mm -hmm. The answer is no. Independent of that, I'm still the same person. And so who we are, right? Self-actualization doesn't really come from from who I am or the things that I do or any of that. It comes from God. And so when he's talking about self-transcendence, is he's talking about, and it kind of is really interesting, he says the own like, finding meaning in life isn't something we find in ourselves. It's something we find in serving and loving other people, which is a very yeah. Christian concept. Yeah. And so... Yes, so that was a long rant, and I don't even remember what the first thing that was said
1: that sparked me on that was. It was humility, but no, you. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with this because okay. you said one keyword, which is perfect. Because like I said only only two things, one being shame, which you say the key is humility. Yeah, that's and, what I was talking about. Yes, right, and the the you told a story that Chris actually told when he was on this podcast about the concentration camp and basically like the story of hope and how, how that works. And people have something to live for that somehow that, that changes us. But when we lose anything to live for, like we die, whether that's spiritually, physically or whatever. And so the other thing I want to talk about on in, from this movie was hope because while he's in prison, waiting these trials and being retrialed and going to all these different things, he's reading this book called it's a it's a French book, mispronounced. I think it's Papian. I looked up the pronunciation. I think it's Papian, but it's a it's a real book, and it's about a Frenchman. It's a true story. Who it's not a biography. Who was mischarged for murder, and taken into prison, then like escaped, recot and just went through like this hell trying to prove his innocence. And so, you know, he's reading this book because he, like I said, he's trying to convince people that he is also innocent and he tells his girlfriend or fiance about it, Liz, and is like, you know, I'm reading this book. Is like, he gives it, he gives it to her for Christmas. It's like, I've already read it four times, but like read it because it's what it's about. And like the one thing I love about this book is he doesn't lose hope. And that's what I want for you and me. We can't lose hope no matter what happens. And so he's like very hopeful. That everything is like that, everything's going to work out in his favor, even though we know that it doesn't and it shouldn't. So it's kind of like false hope. So I wanted to touch on hope because he, he brings that up, and that's like a big driving force. You can actually see that he is hopeful, but you know, I think it's not technically to the virtue of hope or the power of hope. And so, yeah, balls back in your court. Uh, run with that.
0: So okay, so First Corinthians chapter thirteen, mm-hmm. verse thirteen. And now these things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So I bring that up because what Scripture ends up telling us about hope is that it's one of those things that is arguably one of the most important things in our lives, right? Like that hope is something almost transcendent, similar to faith or or love. Um, Now, obviously, we know the greatest of these is love, but I think that hope is so powerful because of what it is, you know, that it is divine. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, my, it's a, yeah, I, it, it's powerful because it's one of the theological virtues. Yeah, it's
0: one of the theological virtues. Which, uh, Thank you, because my brain, I had a brain fart and I couldn't think of the word theological virtue. And so I'm yes. like, how am I explaining so, this without of having,
1: the, yeah. Of the other virtues, which are tools to live, theological yeah. virtues are literally things that stem from God yes. and go back to God. So, like, without God, we really couldn't have faith, hope, or love. And mm-hmm. that's not to say we, we, you know, nothing would exist without God, but if there wasn't a God, then like we could still have fortitude to do something, but the hope and the faith and the love that would exist in that, in that kind of world would not be the faith, hope and love that we have because God exists.
0: Yeah. And so I think that that's at the core of hope talking about the, the transcendent, right? Um, the Frankel Frankl, talk- Victor Frankl talks about. Is it like hope is transcendent, right? And so I think that that's why when he's talking about meaning of life, meaning of life has wrapped up in it, the idea of hope, right? I think like having a meaning for life is to, part of it is is, is this finding of hope. Sometimes we have faith in that hope, right? So that's where it ties in, but that it's necessarily transcendent and that love ultimately is what permeates that as well, um, which is why, we really find our meaning out of ourselves and not inside of ourselves necessarily. You can find it inside of yourself insofar as like you're doing contemplative prayer and you're finding God, but that's still not finding it within yourself. That's maybe finding God through contemplative like introspection, but it's still through God. You know what I mean? It's still other. Does that make sense?
1: No, it does. But it, it makes like the one question I had from this movie is what is, what are your hot takes? I would say on on false hope because like i said he had full hope and he was challenging people to have hope that he would it would end up a false trial and he would get out even though he knew in his brain he did these things and so it's like he you can't he he could hope he he could hope but that's it's almost dumb.
0: so we receive this theological virtues um in humility right When we are who we are before God, um, we are able to receive the graces of God more effectively, Mm -hmm. right? Because we are humbled before him. And false hope, I think, grows out of pride in the same way a lot of vices grow out of pride. And so what I mean by that is that false hope, I think, stems from Ted Bundy in the same way that probably led him to committing these horrible acts in the first place. Right, like I don't think he committed those acts assuming that he was going to get caught. That's so I true. Think the same pride that led him down that path in the first place ultimately led him to be like, "Well, I'll never get caught," or "Okay, I'm caught, but I'm never going to get you know convicted, or I'm never going to get killed." Um, it's this idea that like, of course, this won't ever happen to me. I'm too smart, or too great, or uh, I'm too deceptive. You know, I'm too believable. If I play this part of not having killed somebody long enough, somebody's going to think. Oh, maybe we got the wrong guy. Right. Um, I want to kind of go tangent, tangent, yeah. unless you go have ahead. something specific.
1: No, that, no, that's uh, kind of like really all I, all I brought to the table.
0: The last thing I want to talk about, because you mentioned the Ted Bundy like tapes. Yes. Um, you'd mentioned earlier when you were like, what leads, when we were talking about our fascination, what leads somebody to this? So I want to read you some quotes from Ted Bundy's mouth, mel- mouth himself. I don't know
1: after seeing his movie, if I trust anything that comes out of that man's mouth.
0: Well, what's really funny is when he was doing this, he was, he was kind of doing what OJ did, where he wrote the book saying, if I like, I didn't kill her, but if I did it, this is how I do it. Right. Uh, He did a very similar thing. He's like, I didn't kill these people, but let me talk about like, what would like.
1: If I was going to do something like this, this this is how I would do it.
0: Or like, this is like the reasons or whatever. So he, uh, the night before his death, he was interviewed by Dr. James Dobson the founder of Focus on the Family. And so in one of the segments, uh, he actually talks about the effect pornography addiction had on his life. So he says, like most other kinds of addiction, I would keep looking for more potent, more explicit, more graphic kinds of material. Like an addiction, you keep craving something which is harder, harder, something which gives you a greater sense of excitement until you reach the point that pornography only goes so far. And then later he says, I've lived in prison a long time now. I've met a lot of men who are motivated to commit violence just like me. And without exception, every one of them was deeply involved in pornography. Without question, without exception, deeply influenced and consumed by addiction to pornography.
1: So... One, like I'm wearing this, you know, the porn kills love from like to fight a new drug. I, I am all in on the porn movement. Um,
0: Anti-porn movement. You know what I mean.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just
0: throw, I, huh. uh, <laughs> Somebody's going to be like, <laughs> Gordon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. Yeah. No, but in that's, well, the first half of what he talks about, I, I can attest to in, in the sense of that i agree and the facts and the studies are there that you know first time users watchers when it comes to pornography usually it's just like anything if, if it's if it's drugs if it's addiction you're always craving the first use the first you know high and you never you can never find it because the first high is all the first time it's in the past. And so with pornography, they, they will search for different genres and, and more intense genres. And so it is known in statistics that like people that have have problems are watching like horrific and like very physical and like abusive things. If, you know, his little spiel on like, that's why he, he, that's why he does what he does. and, that's why other people he met in prison are the way he is. That's where it's like I said, I don't know if I can really trust. He's like various snake oil salesmen. Cause in the movie, they don't really touch on like a lot of stuff, but in the movie, it did say that on the day of his execution, he met with a psychiatrist, which I'm, I'm going to assume I could be wrong. So if I'm wrong, if people know, let me know. I'm going to assume it's the same person that interviewed him. And the reason he met for this, met with this person is because. He was trying to, like, kind of not plead insanity, but plead that he shouldn't be killed because it's not necessarily his fault. And on that same day, he admitted to a ton of murders and, like, pleaded guilty. But in the movie, he claims, like, I'm only doing this so, like, to bide time and to, like, make deals not to die. The only thing he actually feared was death. And so I think he was, like, spitting all these things out. And so I, I, I don't know. I'd be curious. I do agree pornography only goes so far. And it could lead that if you're craving something, then that does lead to something actual physical. And I think that does lead to like abusive relationships and, and miscommunication and all these things. But for, for it to be like, you know, everyone that's in prison that, that does heinous crimes and that, and that's actually like serial killers, it's because of that. I, I don't know. And I don't know if he was just saying that to save his own life. You know what I mean?
0: I think, I think either way, I, I would believe that it actually led him down that path. Because one of the things with sin in general uh, is sin has a cycle. Um, sin has a downward spiral uh, in a lot of ways is something we used to talk about in one of my theology classes that sin is addictive, very similar to drugs and just like drugs lead you down this downward spiral, sin does as well and so addiction to pornography um, you do uh, get desensitized you you are. Basically, training your brain to to accept the dehumanization of another person, mm-hmm. which allows for all sorts of horrific things to exist. I truly believe that pornography, the dehumanization that is inbred in our culture through the rampant acceptance of pornography, contraceptives, and like just the general hookup sexual culture, uh, the free love movement. I truly believe that it is, only, is because of the dehumanization that we innately accept by accepting those things in a deeper and deeper sense that leads to the horrific things like uh, euthanasia and abortion. Um, that, that it's through this acceptance of, yeah, I'm going to use other as a means to an end instead of an end in themselves that inevitably leads to us to be able to do violent acts that kill people. You see it in abortion. You see it in euthanasia coming from those things. It's very much in vitae that it was a stem from those. And so when I look at pornography and I hear him say, this led me here, a lot of people might read that and say, this is a big jump, but the studies are there. And I think it's true. I think that our society accepts this systematic killing of, of children or the elderly or the sick because we've already accepted that I get to make a judgment call on whether or not somebody's life is, is valuable because I get to make that decision. They don't have value apart from that.
1: I hardly agree, especially when it comes to, you know, the, the the things like the death and culture, like the Mm -hmm. things like that. And I, I do agree with him too, that it played a major part in where, in who he is and where he is, especially with, you know the dehumanization for him and just the way he viewed people and his anger issues but i i think we'd, we we would be failing if we didn't say that there is there has to be something else as well as another step or choice that he made when it came to actually killing human like
0: like no absolutely i mean we ultimately have a choice every step of the way i mean he had probably several choices
1: yeah like there's nowhere there's there's no there's no legality to murdering humans oh, as yeah. there is sadly to some of the death in culture that you know yeah. know what I mean? Yeah,
0: I mean, pornography has a lot of negative effects, not just in the violent
1: spectrum. I'll, only um, negative effects.
0: Yes, but I'm am like i what I mean is like not necessarily just like the violent, uh, right. in terms of like murder or, or something like that or or but you know domestic violence those sorts of things. Um, but it also leads to uh, breakdowns of families, it leads and has uh, huge ties to human trafficking. I mean, there's a lot of ill effects of pornography that are blanketed. Um, And I think ultimately all of those stem from the fact that pornography trains our brains to say that dehumanization is okay. Yeah, That's ultimately the the core value. And so, yes, but there, there obviously is a big difference between training yourself to dehumanize somebody and then to get to the point where the dehumanization is so bad that you decide, well, I can just kill this person. That's a very different thing. He, he, I think he goes in a little bit more in depth where I think I forget exactly. It's, it's been, it's been a minute, but I think he kind of even goes in. That's one of my favorite quotes by him, not favorite quotes, but like, it's, it's one of the things that I, I like to talk about. the most. Sure. So It always comes to my mind, but, I think like the first time he killed somebody, it was almost by accident. Um, I think it was through this pornography, and then like I think he like accidentally killed somebody like while performing these violent acts, and then like that gave him a rise that he like hadn't had. And so, like you said, is that true? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm also
1: yeah. You just have to take everything he says as a grain of salt. But as far as like we said in a general topic of pornography though it does have that kind of power cool yeah.
0: so anyway my challenge treat people like they're people not objects generally a good rule of thumb
1: oh my gosh yeah mine mine is is, is a is one of two things it's up to because i could say one it might not apply to you so it's up to what applies to you and what you want to do one you've done in the past kind of go to adoration this week or just take time to pray if you can't make an adoration it's fine but really strive to if you can and kind of just sit with those two things shame and hope like where are you possibly even in the slightest kind of feeling shame in your life and and why do you think you feel shame so like what identity do you give yourself that you know if you asked god was true he would say no that's not true that's not how i see you and then ask God to reveal you his truth as well as, you know, in prayer, ask what, where do you have hope or where is it even hard to hope? One or the other. Like, where do you have hope? What are you hoping for? And like, hold on to that. And what, what allows you, gives you the strength to have that hope or where is it hard to hope? And why do you think it's hard to hope? And, and if you can't really do that, and that doesn't really apply to you or whatever. And the other thing is to, to think of someone in your day to day routine that you think just needs this human outpouring of love, like someone that just needs like interaction. Uh, Maybe it's someone that you see, like if you take the bus to work every day and you're just like, I see this person, they're on the bus all the time. I'm just gonna say, Hey, or I'm just gonna like tell them I prayed for them the other day or whatever, but someone in your day to day routine and just like say hello, give them a hug, whatever, whatever that is to you. Um, That's one one of those two.
0: Yeah. So I'm actually going to reemphasize seriously. I can attest to there was a, a period of my life where I encountered uh, a deep depression, a deep lack of hope, and I, I really struggled. It was a really difficult time in my life, and that was also around the time that I started getting involved in youth ministry. Unrelated, but it was like I had just come off this very spiritual high of like my reversion, basically. And then I was hit by a lot of very negative things that kind of shook my understanding of God in a lot of ways, because I think that I had a lot of preconceived notions and then I realized he was real. And then it was, okay, but who do you actually think I am and who am I really? And so there were there was a time where I was I was really struggling. And I was really starting to question a lot of things, but I knew that God was real. Basically, the only things I knew that God was real. And that I felt like I had a call to go into youth ministry. And so I got involved with youth ministry with knowing nothing else. And I can attest that it was in that serving of those teens. It was in the sharing of the gospel. It was in kind of very C.S. Lewis, right? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? In this like real outpouring of love, um, in service and like this almost self forgetfulness in the moment of it, like just, just loving another without any regard necessarily for self. I found more healing and more hope and basically was healed of all of those things that I was struggling with. Um, and really came to know God in a deeper way through service. And so my point being, um, and found a lot of meaning in that is my point being, um, Yeah, make sure, guys, that in some aspect of your life, you are serving your fellow man. It's not just a commandment that God has for us to love your neighbor, but it's also probably the most important thing you can do even for yourself. right? I think that too often we care about what we can get out of it. And the sort of, again, the paradox of our faith is that it's by forgetting yourself and serving others that you truly find the meaning and you truly get um, receive the grace that you're you're actively seeking. So really, guys, take time in adoration. Please, you know, get filled first by God. But I urge you to go out there and take care of your fellow man, To Gosh, it can be even as so simple as when you see a homeless person on the street, don't just ignore that they exist. You yeah. know, like how many people drive by them without even looking at them as if they're not even human? Right. It, it can be easy. You don't have to like give them all of your money. But man, does just acknowledging that they're also a human being go a long way? Like, mm-hmm. just seeing them as who they are so impactful? So that's my challenge.
1: Yeah, guys, go do that. Do you have any shout outs?
0: Uh, not that I haven't mentioned in the middle of this episode. I think the only one I had was that my coworker Amy that I was having a, a similar discussion with. Yeah, that's
1: pretty much it. Okay. We're just going to shout out a few new listeners. It might be ones that Clint or you shouted out in the previous episodes. I haven't heard them yet. We've got a, a bunch. We have some spikes in listening. So ch- uh, username Chopsticks. Uh, we have uh, Harry Linus has listened. Zach and Koa. Dana Alkabi, Cherry Salah. Zuni Ali. And Scout Armstrong. I know Scout Armstrong, you've listened to a few. So... Thank you all for checking us out. Always keeping up to date and listening. Otherwise, we're going to wrap this up. You guys know where to find us. You can check out our website at the Christ We have a Facebook also under the Christ in culture and a Twitter at on the adventure 2 Clint has been really hot on the Twitters. And so if you do have a Twitter, that's probably the best way to kind of keep up to date with conversational stuff. Cause Clint's all over that nowadays. Uh Oh, If you like what we do, like I said, you know, me and Steve are doing this remotely. So if there's anything sound wise you didn't like, listen to the last episode and you heard like what happened, which is rare. It's happened like three times. We have a Patreon where if you like what we do, you're like, wow, I want this to like stick around. We need they need new hosts. Well, then if you support us, you get benefits. It helps us out. We've already met our goal or we're we like we now don't have to pay for this to happen. We are meeting all our costs, but now we're trying to save up to get better equipment, put out video content, stuff like that. You get extra things like today, our patrons just got a our our monthly newsletter, which was just kind of like stuff we stuff we're praying with, something that kind of challenged them. We had one last month. We're going to have one this month with like a a, a video video Q and A where we're just like Skype in with them and they can ask us questions. We can just hang out and talk. It's stickers. We got stickers that we send out. Um, you know, it could be $5, I think is the minimum, or maybe it's $10 to get something, but it could also just be $1 a month if you just want to support us. So if that's something that's on your heart, think about it, pray about it. That's patreon.com forward slash the Christ in culture. Do you have anything else, Steve?
0: Yeah. And I can just attest that, I mean, $5 a month is not a lot. I mean, that's essentially you decide one day out of the entire 30, 31 day month that you're not going to buy a cup of coffee. I think that that's a, a pretty fair, minimal sacrifice. It's actually funny. And this is totally unrelated, but kind of related. I was talking to a friend of mine and been very convicted uh, recently when you're talking about the woman who gives the two coins and the idea of like giving out of need or giving out of excess. hmm. And it's like, how do I give? Like, do I just give out of excess or do I give out of need? And there's this sense of like trust when you give out of your need. Not that I'm saying give us all like out of your need or like self-sacrifice that much. But, you know, sacrificing one cup of coffee is just a small sacrifice you can make to help spread the gospel. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, I mean, $5 is not a massive sacrifice. But yeah, I mean, and, you know, one day maybe you don't get coffee in the morning and then you can just, be prayerful about that and realize like okay this is the day that i'm, I'm actually going to sacrifice this coffee for the kingdom i like to imagine we're building the kingdom
1: with less coffee that sounds like a nightmare okay
0: all right anyway you understand what i'm saying i yeah, love no, you I, all. Get it. I love you all thank you so much for listening please be sure to reach out and contact us we love hearing from y'all uh, we do see you next week
1: Yeah, thank you guys.